That's the series that we are in, and uh, you know, we are so excited that over, well, nearly 500 of you um, are in community groups around this city, whether it be on the campus on Tuesday mornings, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, uh, or throughout the campus um, uh, on other days or around the city. Um, we are very excited that that many people are experiencing grace, not just talking about grace, but truly experiencing how big, how wide, how deep, how long, how great God's grace really is. And last week, if you were not here, to be able to baptize about 30 people, um, and then also to have over 30, oh, there was about 32 people who raised their hand last week to say, yes, I'm accepting Jesus for the first time in my life last week. So yeah, we are thrilled and excited that God is up to some great, great things around here at First Baptist Church. And one of those is getting to talk about this incredible grace. Now, when I say the name grace or the word grace, I know there are a lot of different thought bubbles going up all around this place. Some of you are like thinking, well, that's what grandma calls the, the prayer before Thanksgiving meal, right? Grace. Um, others of you say, well, that's what I've heard from someone kind of uh, being gracious. I, I've heard a pastor talk about it at different points in different times. We have all sorts of different definitions for that word that many of us have heard over and over and over and over again. And I'm going to be very gracious while that phone is answered. All right, there we go. Good, good, good. But you know, there are some, interestingly, some new words that maybe you don't know about. If you've been reading through the book, um, Grace is Greater by Kyle Adam, and you would have seen these words, but let me just share them with all of you. Some words that are now in our English vocabulary, maybe not in a, a formal dictionary, but they're in our English vocabulary, and let me see if you can guess what the uh, words mean, all right? So here's the first word up on the screen. It is phonemic. Phonesia. Phonesia. Okay, think about it. What does that word mean? What could it mean? Some of you are probably thinking, I lost my phone. I don't know where I put my phone, right? I had phonesia. Actually, that is close. That is close. But let me give you the definition for phonesia. The definition is the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you were calling just as they answer. Any of you done that? Yeah, absolutely. So use it in a sentence, right? Hey, who are you? I don't know. You called me. Oh, I must have. There you go. Okay. All right. You got it. You got it. Let me give you another name here, another word here. Disconfect. Disconfect. Now, this happens a lot of times around Halloween time. Candy, when it hits the floor. All right. Let me give you the definition of it. Disconfect. The attempt to sterilize a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. And have you done it? Yeah. It does absolutely nothing. Nothing when you do it. I have the five-second rule in my life. If it's not down there five seconds, it's back in my mouth. That is perfectly fine. So, so. But disconfect. Let me give you another one here. Blame storming. Blame Now, this oftentimes happens in corporate settings or offices. But let me give you the definition here. Sitting in a group and discussing who's responsible for the company's problems rather than trying to solve them. 
That would never happen at a church, right? No, not First Baptist. No, no. All right, one more. Here's the word. Intoxication. Intoxication. All right, definition. The euphoria from getting a tax refund, which lasts until you realize it was your money to begin with. Right? Yeah, come on now, right? Let's think about that. Let's think about that. So here are some new words, new meanings. Um, uh, you know, sometimes familiar words uh, can have familiar meanings, and so we tend to overlook them. And that's one of the words, grace is one of those words that really feels like it falls into that category. Uh, in fact, uh, a number of years ago, I remember seeing this advertisement on television. Um, Kellogg's Corn Flakes came out with a brand new ad. And they have people who they pay thousands and thousands of dollars to figure out these things. What they realized was that a lot of people had bought Corn Flakes earlier in life, maybe even in their childhood, but not had done it recently. And so the advertisement that they came up with was Kellogg's Corn Flakes, taste them again for the very first time. And it was a successful campaign because it brought people back to those taste buds and back to those memories of what they had done years and years and years before. That's what I guess I would hope that would be happening with this series. When you hear the word grace, that you would put new meaning to it. You would put a new definition in place. Or maybe the definition you have right now isn't a correct one, but you would fill it in with what we want and what God wants us to understand about his love for us, that grace. In fact, would you read this verse with me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Read it with me. Go. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. That is what I hope, First Baptist, we will live out, that we will come from the moment you arrive on campus to the moment you leave, that you would be filled with grace, that you would experience grace, that you would then leave and go live out that grace. Because if we don't, we'll become very toxic. We'll become very inward-focused. In fact, last week I shared uh, some verses, and here's the one I want to recall, Romans 6.23, that said, for the wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God, His grace, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what leads to death from here? Sin is what causes death to come about. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23 actually says it like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, who does all include? All includes me. Includes you. It includes everyone who has ever lived besides Jesus himself. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, I would venture to say in a room this size that there are probably some of you who say, well, you know what, Pastor Brad, yes, okay, I've sinned, but I haven't sin sinned, right? Am I right, you self-righteous people, right? Okay, if you're like me. Right? I've sinned, but I haven't, like, sin sinned, like, you know, the news, and you hear about those people, those convicts in jail are headed that way, or you watch reality television. You, you, you all watch reality television just to feel good about your lives, don't you? Right? 
right? Reality television, like, like I haven't sin, sin, like, you know, I haven't, like the Kardashians sin, sin, right? That's a whole other category. I haven't kept up with them kind of sin, sin. I don't do that. You know, the moment we start going that way, we actually enter over into a new sin, <laughs> uh, self-righteousness, pride, and so to realize that, yes, we have all sinned, that's what God calls it, and grace is the only cure for it, God's grace. Sin is the di- diagnosis, and grace is the prognosis. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 5. If they're on your phones, go ahead and click them on. Um, you know, it does not matter to us what you bring. I just hope that you bring something that you read God's Word with. So if you have it in Scripture or you have it on your phones, uh, you have an outline in front of you as well, you can mark that up on the paper or you can look up here on the screens as well. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up at our information area as you're leaving here. We want you to have that. Um, and if you haven't downloaded the app, the Bible app, it's an incredible app. Get it so that you can be reading this every day. But Romans chapter 5. Let me jump in and talk about what Paul says about this grace that comes through faith and how it comes about because of its being so much greater than the sin that we have in our lives. That we all have, Scripture says. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What's it saying? It says we're all infected. We all have a terminal disease, sin, and sin leads to death. But, jump up to 15, but the free gift, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What's he saying here? He's saying, yes, you know what? Sin is powerful, but God's grace is greater. Grace is greater than our sin. How many of you, um, your favorite subject in elementary school or high school was math? Anyone? Anyone? All right, how many of you just like hated math with a passion? Okay. Yeah, a lot more hands on that one, all right? Some of you who, who loved math, you will automatically know this. Some of you didn't probably won't. But go ahead and put that symbol up here. Do you remember what this symbol is called? What's it called here? A greater than or less than sign, right? And, and again, if you weren't very good at math, you probably can't remember which way it goes. But if you kind of think drawing a Pac-Man up here, right? So if that's the mouth, the open Pac-Man, draw the circle around here. The Pac-Man eats what? The greater than or the less than? It, it eats what's greater, right? And it eats that and it grows even greater. It grows even bigger when it does. So it, it kind of, it, it, go, it points at the lesser, it eats the greater. And that's what, that, that's what grace is called. Gra- grace is greater than. It's saying here that grace, you know what? It, 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 it's greater than sin. It's greater than shame. It's greater than guilt. It's greater than condemnation. Grace is greater than. In fact, say that sentence with me. Say it. Grace is greater than anything that you have done, anything you will do. God's grace is greater. Yes, sin came into the world by our free will and free choice of disobeying that, went the way of Adam. We all have. 
but his grace is so much greater. Look at verse 16. It says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, what's that word? Big word, justification. Think of it this way. Root word is justified. Another way of saying it is just as if I'd never sinned. Now, sin has consequences, yes. And when we sin, we do damage to people, yes. But if we are in Christ, if we have a relationship with him, then how God views us as is just as if I'd never sinned. We are justified in his sight. We no longer have to face the eternal consequences and, uh, of that sin. So that's what the word justification means. It means we can play the grace card. Now, we don't play it in a cheap way. We don't play it in thinking that we can do whatever we want to do. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. But verse 16 says we've been justified through what Jesus has done for us. Verse 17. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Now get this, much more, greater than will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So grace becomes that second chance. Grace becomes that do-over. And again, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, Folks, I so desire that none of us, none of us would miss the grace that God has and wants to give to each and every one of us. Because you know what happens when we do? Get this. You know what church tends in, turns into? Church then turns into religion. And let me be very honest with you. I hate religion. Now, that might be hard to hear from a pastor. You wouldn't think a pastor would normally say that. But not only do I hate religion, I also dislike religious people. Ooh, you talking about me, pastor? I hope not. I hope not. And you know what? I, I go in good company with this because Jesus didn't care much for religious people either. You remember what he did in, Roman, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 23? Man, he lit them up. He said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who thought they were really religious. He called them whitewashed tombs. Remember that phrase? I think that's a Latin phrase for putting lipstick on a pig is what that is. You put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. It's what it is. Whitewashed tombs, you paint the tombs, it's still smelly, it's still stinky, it still is a tomb on the inside. And he was saying, hey, Pharisees, Sadducees, your life is a bunch of religion. In fact, religion is what we, uh, is what, um, is what we're life, excuse me, let me say it this way. Religion is what we're left with when we don't have grace in our lives. In fact, you know what religion is? Let me define it for you. Religion is man's attempt to earn God's favor by following rules and regulations. That, that, that's what religion is. That's why I hate religion. Because the religious leaders, even back in the day of Jesus, piled that on people and said, look, we can do it. Why can't you? And he just, they would just lower and lower and belittle the people. In fact, um, 
the idea behind religion is that we can become good enough, is that we can balance out the scales to correct our wrongs. In fact, we have some scales that I think we're going to put up on the screen here. Think about it in this way. All your good deeds in life are put on one side. All your sins are put on another. There are hundreds of thousands of people in church today who are in church because they're trying to balance out what they did last week. And I just want to tell you here at First Baptist Church, that will never work. It never has, it never will. The Bible says you cannot be good enough. You cannot live up to God's standard. My goodness, I don't live up to my own standard, let alone God's standard for me. So God says, it's only through my son Jesus. In fact, I did a funeral yesterday for an older gentleman, passed away. He had more degrees behind his name. He spelt an alphabet of degrees behind his name. And I told the people, I read them off. I read all the things that he did. And then I looked at it and I said, and now none of these matter. Because he's six feet under. I said, none of these got him to where he is today. And he loved the Lord. He said yes to Jesus. He was baptized. He confessed his personal sins. Uh, uh, and he uh, received Christ into his life. And so I said, he's in heaven today, not because of any accomplishment, uh, not because of anything he did or did not do. He is only in heaven today because he accepted what Jesus did for him. That's it. Your morality cannot be good enough. You cannot be moral enough. That's why we struggle with that because we don't realize, God, it's just based upon your grace, not my goodness canceling out my badness. In fact, if you have your outline, turn it over to the back page. Let me go over this very quickly. I want to just draw kind of some comparisons between religion versus grace. Okay, religion, you can fill this in. Religion starts with do. I have to do more. I have to work harder. I have to make up for what I've done, which we cannot do enough. So religion says do. How we spell grace is D-O-N-E. It's done. It's finished by what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. It's no longer up to us. We cannot earn any part of that. So do versus done, religion versus grace. Secondly, religion is much more outward focus. Jesus said very clearly, he said, you know what, you guys, you honor me with your lips, but your whitewashed tombs, you look good, but you don't behave that way. And the outside, looking more on the outside, will never help improve the inside. But when you look at grace, when you focus on that first and foremost, that's much more, you can fill this in, it's much more inward focused. Grace comes to a place of saying it's about the heart. It's, it comes to a place of saying it begins on the inside and then it flows to the outside. It begins doing what God wants me to change on the inside, Him changing me, and then my actions following that outwardly. But inwardly it begins understanding God's grace. Religion versus grace. Let me give you a third one. Religion is about rules. It's about legalism. It's about maybe looking good and playing the part. It's about giving money because that makes me look good to other people. Whereas grace says it's not about rules, but it's about a relationship with the God who loves me. And understand this, that relationship with God does not change even when you sin. 
Now, there, there, there needs to be forgiveness given. And we feel farther away from God. But positionally, if we have His grace upon us, we know where we're headed. We can put ourselves into so much mire and muck. And yet, God says, my love for you does not change. Because if you live thinking that with every little sin, God's going to love you less, love you less, love you less. Now you're in this rat race. Now you're in this system of do, 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 instead of already realizing it's already been done for you. So it's not about keeping the rules, but it's about a relationship that God has and desires with us. Let me give you another one here. Religion is shame-motivated. It's shame-motivated. Maybe you grew up in a church where you kind of felt like God was a cosmic cop, where he was always coming behind you. If you did something wrong, he was going to just smack you upside the head and say, get it right, instead of grace being gratitude-motivated. Motivated because God has already given me so much. You know, we've had a wonderful capital fund campaign. We're having a dinner here in a couple of weeks. You can see that in the bulletin. Um, I, I look at that and I say, I would hope no one, and I don't think anyone has given because of it being a compulsion, because of feeling like I have to do it, because of being guilted or shamed into something. All the giving that has allowed us to be in this building, all the giving that has allowed us to have all these chairs down here and soon to have all those chairs up there has been because all of us have come together and said, God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us. Us. It's given out of a sense of gratitude. And you know what? I, I could raise hundreds of thousands of dollars on guilt. But it would end up and it would dry up really quickly. But if we keep talking about God's grace, if we keep talking about his goodness for us, if we give in a place of gratitude, that's where we should just continue to give and to give and to give and to give. And that's why our church has been successful, because you've been giving by that. Because of God's grace given to you, you give in a place of gratitude. That's why we give. That's how we give. Not by shame, but by gratitude. Let me give you the last one there. Outcome of religion is guilt or pride. You'll go one way or the other. You'll feel guilty because you don't measure up or you finally got it all right. And so now you have pride. Neither one works on those spectrums. But instead, grace, the outcome of grace is love. It's love. Religion makes you feel shamed rather than sanctified. It makes you feel uh, frustrated rather than having freedom. The outcome of religion is either love or guilt or pride. But the outcome of grace is Love And what I desire for us here at First Baptist is over the course of this Grace is Greater series, that grace wouldn't just be an explanation, but it would be an experience that we have together. That's why we offer these community groups, so that you can experience grace in the midst of them. You know, in your community groups, if you listen real closely, Kyle Adamant was talking about grace and how many times Paul mentioned grace in the New Testament. Paul wrote about grace, used the word over a hundred times. Do you know how many times Jesus used the word grace? Zero. None. Never. He never said the word grace. You guys are like, well, that's kind of disproving this point. What, what in the world's going on there? Notice this. John, in John chapter 114, said that Jesus came fullness, in the fullness of all grace and truth. He was filled with grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. That's who he was. And so 
Really, the gospel writers are writing about the fact that Jesus lived out grace in everything he did. Everywhere he went, he was grace to people. And people experienced grace from him. Like in John chapter 8. Many of you kind of recall the story. Let me just tell you again what it says in there. John chapter 8 is about a woman who's caught in adultery. Jesus is teaching out in the courtyards. And a woman is thrown in front of him, probably clothed in nothing more than a bed sheet. She was pulled out of a bed in an adulterous relationship. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the Sadducees, they knew what they were doing. They were trying to trick Jesus. And so they tricked her, knew where she was going. They pulled her out and they said, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? Knowing full well, as they hid the rocks behind their backs, that they were ready to throw rocks to stone her. Jesus, knowing that he was put into a trap, actually didn't say a word. Scripture says he knelt down and began to write in the dust. We don't fully know what he wrote. I happen to think that maybe he wrote some of the sins of the people who were looking on. Maybe. Maybe he wrote other things that they started to read. But even if they couldn't read what he was writing, you know thoughts started kind of going through their heads like, "Uh uh-oh, what's he doing? What does he know more than us? And Jesus then stands up, and in John 8, 7, he says, "Um, Hey, guys, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast one of those stones. And he goes back down, he starts to write. And you have to just imagine this woman hearing these words, feeling that any moment a stone was going to hit her in the face, hearing Jesus say, Hey, if you haven't sinned, have at it. But if you have, hold on or drop it. And as Jesus is back down riding in the sand, you can hear the stones being dropped. You can feel the weight being lifted off the woman. Because Jesus knew that woman. Oh, he didn't know that woman in the way that the world knows the woman, but he knew that woman because he was God. He knew that woman before he knit her in her mother's womb. He knew the hairs on that woman's head. He knew the tears that this woman had cried in her life looking out to men and to relationships and other things, trying to find value and worth. In fact, he knew this woman because this woman was a daughter to him. Not physically, but spiritually. One of his children. And so Jesus, after all of them had left, looks at the woman and said, is there no one to condemn you in John chapter 8, verse 11? She says, no one. And he says, then neither do I. I don't condemn you. And that is grace. That is Jesus modeling, embodying grace for us. That is Jesus showing grace. But notice John chapter 1, verse 14. Notice what I said. He was full of all grace and truth. Jesus didn't just leave it there. He didn't just said, now go and just keep doing anything you want to do. No, what did he say? He said, go and sin what? No more. Be done with that lifestyle. In other words, I love you, but I love you too much to leave you where you're at. 
I love you, but I don't want to see you destroy your life anymore. Grace and truth. I give you God's grace. I give you love, but I also give you truth. That's not the way your life needs to be going. And there's some of you here today who need to hear those same exact words. Today, you need to hear, go and sin no more. You're not condemned. You are loved. God's grace reaches down to even what you did this week or last night. And Jesus is saying now, pick up. I'm not going to judge you on that. But don't return to it. Move on. Move on. I love you too much to leave you there. God's grace takes us to that place. And he doesn't tell us what we have to do, but he loves us into that. Go and sin no more. Again, grace experienced a whole lot easier um, than just explaining it. It gets grasped a whole lot easier. And so let me do this. We see throughout all the Gospels Jesus embodying grace. But it wasn't just 2,000 years ago. This kind of grace happens here today as well. And so I want to share a story with you. Pastor Daniel helped put this together on video of someone within our church right now. You'll recognize who this is. You'll probably see her right after the service. Um, someone who has experienced God's grace in a very radical way. Take a look at her story. Hello, my name is Crystal and I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, but I don't really like to say that and refer to myself that way because I, I fully believe from my heart that I'm a recovered alcoholic through Christ. I don't normally share my story and, and it's, it's sometimes hard for me, but um, a good friend put it in perspective and said, Crystal, it's not your story, it's God's story. And that is, that is truly what it is because we serve an amazing God and, and I would not be sitting here today um, without his grace and his love for me. I was uh, raised in a, a, an alcoholic home. Uh, my father drank and then generations and generations upon generations of alcoholism. My dad was a seasonal worker um, in construction and, and drinking was just part of how it was and, and um, went to work out of school. Um, my dad unfortunately did have the alcohol end up killing him and he drowned when we were 17 um, drunk, which was unfortunate and he actually drowned at a place called Whiskey Slough, which is iconic actually. God even was working right then because he was not gonna get better and he would have probably just continued to wreak havoc through our lives with his drinking and destruction. So we were able to move and, and kind of have some more normalcy and, and had a time where there was no alcohol in our house and around us. And I was able to get some feet underneath me and, and go to school and, and go to college and I was, I was working in a legal office as a, for a corporate attorney and going to paralegal school at night. And during the day, we would just start going to lunches and having cocktails at lunch, and it was just a normal thing to do, but it was actually the start of my, my downfall, and it quickly um, became my lifestyle, and then quickly became my disease. And that was unfortunate because it, it, um, it led to years of destruction uh, for anyone in my path. Um, I quit, uh, quit my job, and and became a bartender. I draw, then after bartending and, and making money, and great, I could get paid to drink, and this was fun, and, and lots of money, and I don't have to work eight to five, and you justified in all kinds of reasons when really it was the disease already affecting my life. 
I had no real reason to stop, you know. I bounced around, moved around. I ended up here in Stockton and with my uncle. Um, and I met my now husband. He wasn't at the time. And, and I actually saw a glimmer of hope in my life and um, a good man and solid. And, and um, definitely I didn't, I didn't deserve him. I felt, and um, uh, looking back, I know that God had, had a specific plan for our lives. And I, you know, I did everything to destroy that, that relationship. I, you know, I mean, I would try to quit drinking and then I would screw up. I would find a reason to have a, an argument and then I'd end up at a bar and then I would be too ashamed and too guilt-ridden to come home and I would be gone for three days and bless his heart. He just can't imagine some of the things that, you know, I wouldn't have stayed at all. I wouldn't have stayed if I was in his shoes and, and he did. He found, actually, he came home, I'll never forget, and he said, you know, I, I found a church I think you're going to like. And it was this church. So I decided that I had some unfinished business with the Lord, so I was taking myself into a room. A lot of people won't get this unless they've experienced it, but where he you know, beckoned me to the cross and drew me to my knees and, and literally met me face to face. And um, you can't describe it. And, but you can feel it, and it's just amazing. I, I, in that moment, when I look back, it makes almost all the pain worth it. Coming out of there, and I realized that I didn't die. He saved me. God's amazing grace brought me to First Baptist, led me here. You know, I'm proud to say that Crystal is now on our staff. She works for Pastor Nikki as her administrative assistant because as she overcame her alcoholism, she came around the church and she started volunteering here at the church. She just wanted to be around Christian people, and she worked and she worked and she worked for free. And we looked at her and we saw the work that she did, and we said, Crystal's a different person. And if you didn't kind of catch how that went about, Crystal had been in rehab and recovery for three different times. She went, she used up all the insurance money, she tried, she tried, she tried to do it on her own. And then she finally came home one night and she said, honey, I'm going to go lock myself in that room with nothing but God and this Bible. And we're going to deal with this. And she went to God and she got, she said, God... Your grace I know is greater. You have to be the one to do this. I cannot do this on my own. It has to be you. And she told her husband, she said, I'm not sure if I'm going to come out alive. But three days later, she came out. And when she walked out, her husband could tell she had met God face to face. And she even said that. She said, I had an encounter with God. And the only reason she is the person that she is today is because of God's grace in her life. And there is absolutely no shame in that story. The only shame is for some of us here who maybe are hiding our guilt. Some, some of us here who are hiding our sin. Some of us here who are hiding what we have done instead of bringing it out into the light and saying, God, I need your grace in this. I need your forgiveness in this. I cannot defeat this on my own. It's only through you. Because as we have talked about, God's grace is greater than our shame. God's grace is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our secret. God's grace is greater than whatever is on your mind right now. In fact, you know what it says in Psalm 103, 12? 
It says in that verse that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far, that's how far he chooses to remove our sins or transgressions from us. And unless I'm wrong on this, when you start going north on a map, you eventually come around and go south. Somewhere in there, north becomes south. But if you start going east, east will never become west. That's trippy, Pastor Brad. Yeah, that is, isn't it? It doesn't. It'll never become west. You will always continue to go east. You cannot be going west when you go one way. That's how far God chooses to separate our sins from us. So here's the deal. I've explained it. Now I want you to experience it. Would you pull out this card? All of you should have this in a bulletin. Pull it out. It says on the front, grace is greater than. What I want you to do today is I want you to fill out the backside on whatever you have experienced God's grace being greater than something in your life. Maybe it's a specific sin that you want to write down on there. Maybe it is uh, the word shame, that my shame, personalize it. Maybe it's the word my guilt. Maybe it is something that you still are struggling with. But I want you to know, God's grace is greater than whatever that is. And today, if you have the courage, I'm going to also ask you to come and experientially take this, and I want you to put it right there on that cross. As a way of saying, Satan, you're not going to rule over me on this one. God's grace is greater than whatever I have done in my past. And we have some stick pens down here. You can just take that, and you can stick that right up to the cross. I don't care if you want to put it this way, if you want to put it this way. Most people in the first service put it this way, because then it's facing whatever. We don't need to read about what you did, but God's cross will take care of that. However you want to do that, you just come. And during our last songs, we're going to sing a couple of songs together. Wherever you are, just as you feel led, you come. There will be lines. You can come from this side. You can come from this side. You can come from the aisle. You can come from the front. There's four stations, two on each side. Whenever you come, you just come and you pin that up. Even if it is hard to stick in there because there's some knots in those boards here. You may be thinking, God's not forgiving this one. Oh, no, you just push harder. It will be okay, right? Or find a new place. God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than whatever you are going through now. If you don't believe that, you don't have to fill that out. Maybe God's still got you, a work in progress. But if you're here today, I want you to experience that. In fact, at the first service, there was a man in his 80s who came up to me after the service. He said, Pastor Brad, when I put that up on the cross, I heard Jesus say to me, go and sin no more. You're free. I looked at him, I gave him a big hug. He had tears in his eyes. You come and you experience it. Realize how big God's grace is. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity we have now to worship you. I thank you for an opportunity we have now to experience your incredible grace for us. And so folks, wherever you're at, if you don't have a pen or a pencil, look down the aisle, someone has it, find it in a woman's purse, find it somewhere. Write something down on that card. Ushers have pens down here as well. If you want to get in line, you can write it as you're coming. But take a few moments. Even now, as we're praying, even now, 
write down whatever. You now know God's grace is bigger than. It's bigger than your shame. It's bigger than your guilt. It's bigger than your specific sin you're thinking about. It's something you may still be struggling with right now. God's grace is greater than that. God, I thank you and I praise you that that's what your word teaches. Lord, let us start now to live that out. We praise you. We thank you for what it means. We are forgiven in you. Your grace is greater. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.